What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook by following both of those pages. You can also listen to us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. So today, we're doing things a little bit differently. I know that uh, some of you may have noticed that I did not do uh, an intro of what we're talking about today. We're going a little bit agenda-free today, just going to kind of touch on um, some of the big stories in Boston sports this week. You know, I may touch on some other stories that are, you know, kind of important, such as talking about the Heisman Trophy, which will be awarded on Saturday. Uh, so we'll talk about some of the, we will talk about the nominees, and I will talk about which person, which player I think will uh, win, which player that I think is most deserving. Uh, we'll for sure take a look at you know, the Patriots, which is where we'll start today. Uh, we'll take a look at the Bruins, the Celtics, uh, Revolution. You know, there's not a whole lot on the Red Sox front, obviously, with the lockout going on. So um, there won't really be any news there. But you know, I might talk a little bit about uh, s- some players that maybe they could look at in free agency or what direction they could be going in free agency. So. I think today makes sense for us to start uh, with the Patriots coming off an impressive uh, Monday night win against the Buffalo Bills, the uh, hated hated division rivals at this point. Um, and let me just say, it was uh, one of the best Patriot games I've watched in a long time. And I know that you know a lot of people would say, "Oh, well, you know, the game wasn't super entertaining." You know, just from a pure offensive standpoint, you know, and I think that. There are some people that do enjoy defense and do enjoy, you know, low-scoring games where, you know, every possession really matters. And that was one of those games that we saw on Monday where every possession mattered, you know. And I think that um, it's an impressive win. The Patriots could go into Buffalo, go into the elements, you know, an elements game that I don't think we've seen like a big winter elements game in a very long time. You know, when, we, when we're talking about the Patriots, when we're talking about, you know, meaningful wins that they have had over over all these years, you know, you think about the most memorable games, and oftentimes most memorable games are the, the elements games, you know, whether it's bad weather, like a, like a snowstorm, you know, you think of the 59 to nothing win against the Tennessee Titans all those years ago, you know, you think about some of the weather playoff games that have happened, you know, games in the early 2000s with, you know, negative wind chill and, you know, so cold and and snowy, you know, you think about that game against the Dolphins, maybe in 2003 where Teddy Bruschi, you know, scores that touchdown, starts throwing snow into the stands because, you know, there was a big snowstorm and they couldn't get the snow out of the, out of the the actual seats. Um, So, you know, there's all kinds of those games. And I think that you saw something similar on Monday night, you know, obviously, there wasn't a huge, you know, snow effect with this game. The wind, obviously, was the biggest, was kind of the biggest thing. You know, the cold, and it really, you know, affected the really affected the way the game was played. You know, and I think that that's the biggest thing when you go into these weather games is it really affects how you play and how affects how things are done. You know, either with the Patriots or with whatever team they're playing against. Um, so I think. You know, it was an impressive win in that respect that they could, 
you know, go into a hostile environment. They could play very well defensively. You know, really, this was one of their best defensive games this season. And I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of, you know, non-New England people will be like, oh, well, you know, they were helped by the weather, you know, and this and that. But the, uh, the defense was incredible in this game. And really, the only touchdown they give up is uh, after a muffed punt. And I think that, you know, you look at how well they played against Josh Allen and against his Bills offense that, you know, obviously has not been the best offense this year. I mean, I think that last year they certainly were a better offense, but even still, just to have such a dominant defensive performance and be able to run the ball as well as they did, you know, over 200 yards on the ground against one of the better running rush defenses in the league. You know, I was a little concerned going into this game because you have had, you know, going into this game, it's like, okay, this is your second straight game against a very, very good run defense. And, you know, you didn't really have all that much success running the ball against Tennessee in in your last game. And so I thought, okay, this might be a game where they have to throw the ball because running the ball is going to be a challenge. But, you know, credit, credit to the offensive line, credit to the blocking scheme you know, and the game plan, you know, really was, this is how we're going to play. We're going to run it down their throats and it worked, you know? So I think, you know, a lot is being said in this game about the game plan. And a lot is being said of the fact that, you know, it's a Belichick, what a, you know, genius game plan and this and that, not taking anything away from him, but you got to give a lot of credit to that offensive line and a lot of credit to some of those guys that were blocking as receive that were receivers blocking. Nikhil Harry is a guy that came, that comes to mind. Obviously he made a big mistake in this game, but you know, he did do an excellent job on, you know, the long Damian Harris touchdown and the two point conversion. And, you know, those are two those are, you know, arguably the two biggest plays of the game. You know, the the touchdown run, which really was the only you know, I'm not going to say the only touchdown, but I mean, it was the Patriots' only touchdown, but it really was like the only big-time offensive play that happened in that game, and he did a great job, you know, springing that play. You know, he was not the only one that made a great block on that play, but I think, obviously, the the, the story with, you know, Nikhil in this game was, oh, he muffed the punt and led to the Bills' only touchdown. Um, and I'll just be honest, he probably should not have been on the field. Um, he's not a guy that has really any experience fielding punts, so it was kind of strange to see him out there, but I thought he did do a good job run blocking. The Patriots played a lot of this game with an, with an, with an extra offensive lineman, so I really thought that the game plan was was great, and I think it was executed perfectly, and the Patriots were able to really control the clock and control the game with the run game, and I think that you know, that's really what this game story should be about, is the Patriots went out, knew what the elements were going to be, executed a game plan, and executed it to perfection, and won a game that, you know, is probably going to end up being one of their most important wins of the season. Um, but unfortunately, you know, as some of you know, you know, <laughs> living in this area and having to, you know, listen to um, certain people that want to say that the Patriots went out to, you know, not, they, they didn't, they didn't execute, they didn't, they didn't run a game plan 
to win. They ran a game plan not to lose. And I just think that there are people that unfortunately want to make this game about Bill Belichick's lack of trust in Mac Jones or, you know, whatever else you want to say and are ignoring the fact that the Patriots, you know, essentially went into this Buffalo game, laid out exactly what they were going to do to the Bills' defense, and the Bills still couldn't stop them. The Patriots went out with a game plan that we're just going to run it down your throats, and we don't think you can stop us. And they didn't. The Patriots ran for nearly 250 yards, and it's just like that should be the story of this game. You know, anything else that anyone wants to tell you, I think, is just wanting to make a narrative out of absolutely nothing. And it's just kind of unfortunate that that's kind of the way things have gone around here, specifically with this team almost all season, that there are a lot of people out there that want to tell you that um, this Patriots team is not good, not as good as the, the record says that they are. And, you know, look, it was not a perfect game. You know, it was not a an offensive game where, you know, it was balanced, you know, it was heavily geared against, geared towards the run. And I think like, that's fine. You know, if a game plan, the game plan works, it works. And it's really kind of all that matters to me. Um, and it's just kind of unfortunate that we're shying away from what this game really was about, which was establishing the run, sticking with the run, and kind of dominating the game with the run, with how well the offensive line was, how good the blocking was, and that's it. It doesn't really need to be, oh, the Patriots don't trust Mac Jones, you know, because that's kind of just just not true. It's like that's just literally false. I mean, the Patriots didn't really have too much of a running game against Tennessee, and against one of the best defenses, Mac Jones throws for 300 yards, so it's just like when you say that they don't trust him, that's not true. Like that's literally just not true. Um, and I just think there are people that are just willfully ignoring the game conditions that are willfully ignoring and looking at that Buffalo game that it just was a normal game, played in normal conditions. The Patriots don't trust Mac Jones. That's why they ran the ball 50 plus times or whatever it was. And it's just like, People know that that's not true, and you know it's making art, making an argument in bad faith, knowing that what you're saying is wrong. So, you know that's really all I'm going to say about people trying to make that game, uh, you know, more trying to make a story out of that game out of nothing, where it's like this is what the story is: the Patriots had a game plan, they went out and executed it, and won the game. And it's really that simple. And the defense was great. I thought that they did an excellent job. Really, most of the time, holding Josh Allen in the pocket. Sure, he did escape a few times and make some plays with his legs. But I thought the Patriots did a very good job defensively in this game. And I also think, you know, part of this running strategy could have something to do with the fact that the Patriots are going to maybe try a lot more passing in their second game against the Bills. Um, coming up the day after Christmas, I think the 26th. Um, and that's, you know, also, I think, a point that Bill Belichick had made that, you know, the Patriots didn't tip their hand and show Buffalo, you know, all these passing plays that maybe they're going to try 
and in, in the second matchup. So I'll be very curious to see what that game looks like. But obviously, uh, Patriots are on a bye this week. So um, no game this weekend, which I think is, is great. You know, we talked about the fact that the Patriots are going to have a lot of kind of time off in this period of time. You know, they had the 10-day break between the, the Falcons game and the Titans game, had an extra day. Um, between the Titans and the Bills. Now they have this, you know, big break before the uh, game against the Colts on the 18th, which is going to be a huge game, I think, for uh, both teams, you know, for the Patriots to solidify the number one seed that they have at the moment and, you know, for the Colts to try to remain in the, in the playoff hunt. Um, so obviously next week we'll get to a, an in-depth preview of that game. Um, but this is also going to be a challenge. I think I would expect that this is going to be um, one of the most, probably the second most challenging game um, on the that is remaining on the Patriots schedule. You know, I think that Buffalo game is going to be challenging. Um, also, that Dolphins game the last week of the season may also be a challenge because Miami does historically trip up the Patriots uh, whenever they have to go down there to Miami. So I think that... You know, you have three games on your schedule remaining that I think are going to be tough. You have one game against Jacksonville. It hopefully won't be a tough game uh, the day after New Year. So it is looking pretty good for the Patriots right now, but they have, you know, plenty of time off, uh, 12 days off before their matchup with the Colts next Saturday. So this is worth noting, and we'll mention this next week, that the game is Saturday night, not Sunday night. I think that the game was originally scheduled for the 18th or 19th, I think they didn't set a date, but then they did. So it's a Saturday night game. I think there may be a game earlier in the day on that Saturday. Talk about that then. Um, so really not much other Patriot stuff to get to. I think that um, we will get to the rest of week 13, but I think I wanted to do uh, talking about some Boston sports first, and then we kind of get to the, the rest of the stuff. So we'll get to the rest of week 14. Um, in a little bit. So I think it makes sense to uh, talk about the Bruins um, and talk about how, how they have been faring recently. Um, a huge win last night against the Edmonton Oilers. Um, I would say that it's probably their biggest win of the season to date. You know, I think that Unfortunately, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of stuff going on with this team recently. Um, you know, we talked about this last week. It really seemed like it was a, a perfect storm of things that were happening um, all at once. You know, DeBrusque requesting a trade, Marshan being suspended, Bruce Cassidy testing positive, Bruce Cassidy still under the uh, under the COVID nineteen protocols um, is not on this Western Canada trip with the Bruins, so his earliest possible date to return. Uh, would be next Tuesday against Vegas. So the Bruins, um, I thought that they played a pretty solid game in Nashville last week, uh, followed it up with a tough OT loss against Tampa Bay. Bruins obviously missing Marchand for that last game. McAvoy uh, did not play either. Bruins take this game to overtime. Steven Stamkos wins it. I really thought that the Bruins played a good, solid game in this one. You know, I really thought that this was a game that, you know, without some of their top guys, they still brought it and still were able to, you know, salvage a point. And I know that, you know, the, the Bruins really kind of need some wins at this point. You know, they've been a little bit 
inconsistent since winning three straight um, in the middle of November. They've kind of traded wins and losses. So, you know, really since that three-game winning streak, the Bruins, with uh, three regulation losses, two overtime or shootout losses, and four wins. So, you know, four, four, three, and two. So kind of just all over the place. Um, the Bruins really did not follow up that Tampa Bay game with um, a good performance. They lost in the shootout against Vancouver on Wednesday night. Uh, the comeback and win against a really good Edmonton team. Um, I'll be honest, I was very proud of this team with, uh, with how they played last night. Um, certainly did not play their best. You know, the Bruins were able to get some help from the special teams. Marchand with power play goal. Jake, or excuse me, DeBrusque with a power play goal. Marchand with a... Uh, I almost said penalty kill goal, a shorthanded goal. Um, Bruins let Edmonton tie the game on a couple of power play goals by Dreisaitl, the second one of which, you know, really was not a penalty. Bruins get called for, um, or Charlie Coyle, I think, got called for a penalty, um, which allowed Edmonton to tie the game. Bruins then get the go-ahead goal with about three or four minutes left. Matt Grizzlick with his first goal of the season. Um, and Linus Olmark was outstanding in this game. He was really the reason the Bruins were able to win. Um, and he and Jeremy Swayman, I think, have started to kind of find their groove recently, um, as both have been playing really, really well. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Tuka Rask returning. I think we'll talk about that in a moment. But I will just say, you know, and other people may echo this as well, but it seemed like there was a lot of negativity um, on you know, social media over the last couple of days uh, with the Bruins, you know, losing a couple games in overtime, losing a game to Vancouver, um, and just kind of the overall play of this team recently. And it's not been great. You know, I will say that definitely there are players on this team that are worthy of criticism. There are parts of the Bruins game that are worthy of criticism. I'm not going to say that, you know, you can't criticize certain things. And I think that that is fair because I think that that's the mark of a fan base that understands the game or understands the team and knows that they expect more from the team. Uh, but I will just say some of the things that people are saying are just kind of blowing my mind. The fact that, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's not like this season has been perfect. Absolutely not. But I think that you've seen what, what this group can do. You know, I know the core is different. I know that some guys aren't here anymore, but it's still a capable group of players. It's still a capable group of talented players that have the ability to get it together. And I think that, you know, this Bruins team gets on a hot streak, and I think they'll be right back where they need to be. Um, obviously, they're not in a playoff spot right now, but, you know, the games in hand are something to keep an eye on. The Bruins are just a point out of the wild card spot, or out of a wild card spot right now. And they have four games in the end on the, on the Detroit Red Wings. And, I just got news for you. The Detroit Red Wings are almost certainly not going to make the playoffs. Like, I really, I don't care what anyone says. Like, this team's not going to be a playoff team by the time the playoffs start. I just refuse to believe that. Um, and certainly, they're not going to be a playoff team ahead of the Bruins. I just don't think that that's even a thing that is remotely possible of happening. You know, obviously it might, but I think, you know, the... It's not been an ideal start to the season. You know, the Bruins have definitely have their have had their fair share of issues, but it just seemed like there was a shocking kind of lack of faith in this team 
um, around social media. And I just kind of found it to be a little annoying, you know, that people almost are just like set in their ways 22 games into the season that, okay, the season is going to be lost. We have to start thinking about rebuilding. We have to trade Bergeron. Like, <laughs> it just kind of is laughable to me that it's just we're already doing this when this team is not in the worst possible place. It's like, trust me, it could be a lot worse than this. The Bruins could be a team like the, the, the Islanders that are kind of, you know, in the basement of the Eastern Conference, underperforming to a ridiculous level. Um, and they, I mean, they could be so much worse than this. You know, I know that it's not an ideal spot. I know that there are three teams in the Atlantic right now that seem to be running away with the division, and it's kind of leaving the Bruins in the dust. But this is a capable team. I got news for you. Like, this is a team that is absolutely capable of going on a point streak. You know, you've seen plenty of teams this season, six, seven, eight, nine, ten game point streaks. You've seen that all over the place. And I just think the Bruins get it going. They can absolutely be a team that's a dangerous team, you know, as a wildcard team or possibly even a top three division team, you know, if they can get really hot. Um, but I will just say this is not the time to, to rebuild this team. This is not the time to start trading, selling guys off just because you've had a, a tough stretch of games. I just, I just, it blows my mind that people think that this is like the worst thing that could happen. It's like, it could get much, much worse than this. It really could be a lot worse. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's this city. People have a tendency to make things way worse than they need to be. Um, but I don't think that this team is in a horrible spot. Certainly it's not ideal. Um, but I think you saw, you saw some good things last night. Um, it was really good to see Jake DeBrus score. I know that, you know, he's a guy that probably is headed out at some point, but I think just from a perspective, a perspective of his, like, it's just great to see him continuing to kind of play Bruins hockey and do the right things and score some goals, get rewarded for some of this play. Um, you know, I think that the trade rumors have been floating around about possibly what the Bruins could get. Um, but I think, you know, at the moment, he's kind of been a useful player over the last couple of games, and it kind of makes sense for him to continue to be in the lineup and possibly, you know, build his trade value. Um, I don't really know if a trade is imminent. It doesn't really seem like it right now. You know, it doesn't seem like this is a trade that's going to happen next week. Um, but I think the Bruins do have to be smart about this and can't make a, um, a, a rash move. You know, I think trading him for someone like Kevin LeBanc would be a little bit of a rash decision. Um, I know that, you know, LeBanc obviously is a guy who can score goals, but he's not really proven to be a consistent enough goal scorer. I don't think he scored 20 goals in a season. Um, and I just think like trading DeBrusque for him would be kind of a lateral move. I don't really know if you're going to get better. I mean, in fairness, I don't know how much better the Bruins are going to be able to get, you know, trading a player like DeBrusque. Um, but I think the Bruins can do better. You know, I think that there is a better package out there that they could deal DeBrusque for, or they just swap him a one for one and get someone like Dylan Strom and hope that he can kind of rediscover um, his game in Boston. Um, I think that at the moment, that's probably the best thing that they could do. 
Um, but, you know, the Don Sweeney will certainly take his time. Um, but I will just say, you know, kind of getting back to the, the, the fan base of this team, it's just kind of wild to me that this team, you know, goes through a bit of a tough stretch and people just want to tear it down and, you know, and just like want to do things just because the team's not playing well. And I just, you can't just do that every time a team's not playing well. That can't just be your answer. Um, and I will say, in fairness, the Bruins do need a rebuild at some point. It, it will happen. Um, it's just not the right time right now. I think you still have key players in this team that could still be part of a playoff run. And I think that while Bergeron is still here, I think any talk of rebuilding or trading him or any of that is just silly. I just think that that's not really right. <laughs> I don't really think that that's, you know, fair to him necessarily. And I think, you know, people trying to, you know, suggest things like that are just looking for attention and are just looking for ways for people to notice them. Um, you know, so I think, you know, getting, getting to grasp and getting to his, you know, pretty much imminent return. I mean, I think he'll be coming back at some point, you know, signing a, a contract. I really don't understand why anyone could be, could be opposed to this. You know, he's a goaltender that has been solid and really good throughout his career. I really, you know, we really don't need to get into a conversation about his legacy, but he's been a very good goaltender for the Bruins throughout his career. Um, remarkably consistent and, you know, as much as Swayman and Olmark have had a good run of play recently, overall this season, they've not really been the best. And I think adding someone like Rask could give you a little bit of a boost. And I think this team definitely needs a boost right now. Um, but I just think, you know, there's really no, no negative to bringing him in, you know, and I think the Bruins have the ability to you know, move Swayman down to the AHL, you know, in a spot where he can continue playing. You know, I think that you, there, there's pros and cons to, you know, dropping him down to the American Hockey League. But I think, you know, if the Bruins do bring Rask up, you can't really have three goaltenders and, you know, splitting time. You know, I'll put it, I'll put it to you this way. I think that people just kind of want to move on from Tuca because they're, you know, have this personal vendetta against him. I don't really get it. Um, but I think, I'll put it to you this way. I think, would you rather have three goalies in Boston where Swayman is playing, you know, 33% of the time? You know, at the moment, Swayman is playing about 50% of the time, maybe more, um, you know, sharing the net with Walmart. But if you bring Rask in and you have three goalies, you know, Swayman playing 33% of the time, or Swayman playing close to 100% of the time in the American Hockey League. I mean, I think the latter makes so much more sense. You don't want to, you don't want him being in Boston playing every third game or probably even less than that because the Bruins will want to give Tukarask as much run as they can give him, I think, to kind of keep him fresh or get him to be kind of getting a number of games in a row so he can kind of get the get back into the swing of things. Um I think just to me, sending Swayman down makes way, way more sense. And the Bruins can send him down because he's, you know, waivers exempt at the moment. You know, the Bruins can't really send Olmark down because he'd have to pay through, he'd have to, you know, go through waivers and he's not lasting through waivers. I'll tell you that much. 
Um, you know, not to say that he's like this unbelievable goalie, but there are teams right now in the NHL that absolutely need starting caliber goaltending. So, no, you can't really do that. And I think the only reason people don't want to come back, I think, is just because their personal feelings towards him. You know, I don't think it's anything founded in like, oh, you'd be better off with these two goalies because, you know, according to a stat I think I saw a couple weeks ago, and this might be before Swayman and Olmark had this good run of play that they've had recently, the Bruins are kind of in the middle of the pack in terms of five-on-five safe percentage, and you bring in Tuka Rask, that number would absolutely get better. So, you know, not to say that Swayman or Olmark have been bad, but I think at certain points you've needed saves at points where you haven't gotten them, and I think a player like Tuka Rask would would be able to make many more of those saves so the Bruins aren't having to you know, deal with goaltending that's just, you know, a little bit worse than average. Um, So I think, you know, hopefully the Bruins can keep it going. It was a really huge win for them last night. I think that, you know, if the Bruins are in kind of a tough stretch, something that can get you going is beating a good team. And that's exactly what the Bruins did. You know, beating Edmonton has been one of the better teams in the league so far. Um, You know, thanks to Dreisaitl and McDavid, but the Bruins, I think, held their own. Matt Grizzlick was able to get a goal. It was really a a big win for this team. And, you know, the reward for this team is playing another really good team tomorrow night. Um, in Calgary, Bruins will play the Flames at 10 o'clock. Um, it's another huge opportunity for the Bruins to um, possibly get back some of their mojo. Uh, John Moore did play last night. Brandon Carlo is out uh, with an injury. You know, Taylor Hall has been kind of having a little bit of a tough time recently, had an assist last night. Um, you know, Brad Marchand back on the first line had an outstanding shorthanded goal last night. Um, but I think the Bruins, you know, definitely need more from from uh, from Hall and, and Smith. I think definitely, you know, Coyle, I think, has had a good start to this season. You probably would like to see a little bit more from him offensively. Um, so hopefully that can improve Bruins' next couple games. Um, obviously in Calgary tomorrow night, they will be home for a single game against Vegas on Tuesday, and then they will travel to New York and play the Islanders next Thursday before a uh, quick Canada swing to play Montreal and Ottawa next weekend. So that's kind of what we got with the Bruins. I think we'll be back to talk a little bit more NHL in a little bit. Uh, We'll get to talking about the Celtics, and it's been kind of similar story with the with the Celtics and people uh doing a little bit of panic time with this team and I think the frustrating part about this team is I think the Celtics issues are a little bit more complex than the Bruins you know I think that the Celtics have had a really hard time getting the continuity that you know really is needed to have a successful season you know Jalen Brown has missed a number of the last couple games um with hamstring injury. Um, I think he's missed the last four games, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I think just kind of throughout the season, the Celtics have had various guys have injuries or illnesses. And so it's been a hard time. It's been hard for them to kind of get games with a consistently healthy roster. Now that's not to say that it's an excuse for the way that they've been playing recently. It's really not, you know, I think no matter who is playing, you have to come in and play with, 
the required, you know, intensity and fortitude that it takes to play in the NBA. Um, and it just seems like the Celtics have just been inconsistent to the point that it's really frustrating that it's like, you know, it just seems like it's almost more the same as it was last season. The Celtics string a couple of good wins together, um, play well defensively, and then it all comes crashing down. And that even happens in games too. The Celtics have a good quarter and then back it up with a bad quarter. You know, you saw it pretty much this season in a nutshell um, in that game against the Clippers on Wednesday night. In a game in which the Celtics, you know, seem to have a pretty good start to the game, you know, but then they start turning the ball over. The Clippers dominate them in that category the whole game. Celtics find themselves down by 21 points in the third quarter. Celtics do a great job in the rest of that quarter to come back, get it to within four or five. LA goes up by about 12 or 15 at a point in the fourth. Celtics come back and have a lot of chances to, you know, take this game and win it. And, you know, the Clippers weren't exactly doing themselves any favors with the way that they were playing in the second half. They kind of just barely limped to the finish, but the Celtics just couldn't get, couldn't get it done. You know, too many turnovers. It's just kind of too much of the same story as it was last year. You know, too much of the complaints of the team not being focused and not being ready and, you know, not putting consistent play together game to game, quarter to quarter, or, you know, run to run, you know, if you want to minimize it down to even something as simple as that. Um, but it just is, it's, it's frustrating. And I think that it's, it's understandable that it's gotten some people to a frustration point of being like, you know, they really need to do something crazy. Um, and I think that, you know, people have been using the term blow it up. And I'll just be honest, I don't think people really understand what they're saying when they say something like that, um, because I think to me, that means that you are dismantling the whole organization. To me, that's what that term means. And maybe that's too, maybe, maybe I think that that's too extreme of a word. Maybe that's me. But I think that doing something like that is just crazy. You know, I understand that Brad Stevens has been with the organization, but he's moved into a new spot. You've hired a new coach that is a coach that not only did your organization want, but the players wanted too. And they made this, made it clear that they want this guy hired. It makes no sense to do anything involving that, you know, and maybe people mean doing something to make this roster better, doing something drastic, um, like trading Marcus Smart or you know, doing something like that. And it's just like, on on one hand, I understand how frustrating the team's inconsistency has been, you know, over the last couple of years. I do understand how frustrating it's been. You know, it's really not been the same ever since the Celtics, you know, beat the Raptors in that second round series in the bubble. And they go and play Miami and just kind of fall apart in that series. You know, you didn't see the team being consistent at all last year. And you really haven't seen it to this point this season. So, you know, in fairness, it's frustrating to see the the inconsistent play. But on the other hand, I think that you have to give some of these guys guys time to adjust to a new coach and a new way of playing, you know, especially Marcus Smart. I think that, you know, we talked about this last week. He's had a number of games where he's been pretty high in the assist numbers. 
he's always going to give you that hard defense. And I just think to pin the blame all on him, I think is a little bit ridiculous. And I think a little bit kind of missing the point. You know, I'm not going to say that, you know, he's untouchable. But at the same time, like, I don't think that he's a problem. I don't think that people painting him being kind of an ego player and being someone who's kind of ego gets in the way this team being good. I don't think that it's as simple as that. And I think that people are making, not making things up, but using that as an excuse because I think the issues with this team are a little deeper. And I think if things continue to go this way, I mean, it's not a road that I think this team wants to go down. Um, you know, having a new coach and kind of playing the same way you did under the old coach. Um, uh, you know, I think that honestly, at this point, people just have to hope that it's just a, a continuity problem that once Jalen Brown comes back and returns, this team can get back on track. But I'll tell you, if that doesn't get the team going, I mean, there's a possibility that, yeah, something could, something drastic could happen. But I just think when people use that term, blow it up, I don't really think they're fully comprehending what that means, you know, unless they are thinking about, you know, blow up the roster, trade off a number of guys. I just don't know if it's really the right time to do that. Jalen Brown is on a great contract. Jason Tatum's in the first year of his, you know, Supermax contract. These guys aren't going anywhere. And I think, like, you have to start, you know, if they have to start performing, you have to start figuring it out. And I think, on the other hand, it is hard to expect that this team was going to be kind of a title contender, that this team was going to be a team that challenges for an Eastern Conference final berth or a final or an NBA finals berth. I think that's, that's crazy to, to think that. I mean, I think ideally we were all thinking, okay, you get a new coach, you have this team playing with an edge and playing more consistently, playing really good defense and, you know, figuring things out offensively. Um, but it hasn't gone that way. You know, I think it's been a little bit more challenging, but I will say like, I think that the Celtics and the fan base has to be a little bit more patient to see this thing out. And I know that it's frustrating to say that. I know people would probably get really pissed off at me for saying that, but I think there are things that, that you have to consider with this team. And I think, um, expecting that this team was going to be back in the Eastern Conference Finals this season, I think is ludicrous. I mean, I really think you can't expect that from this type of group that, you know, the, there are tweaks to the roster. You can't expect that this roster is just instantly going to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I just think to now just be like having those expectations and now being like, oh, they're nowhere near a championship. And it's like things can change quickly in the NBA. I think the Celtics went into this season with the idea that, okay, they'll go through the season and try to see how well they can do. And then in the summer, they try to do something big. I just think like to expect that this team was going to be a really good basketball team this season, I think was a little too ridiculous. And sure, I'm someone who likes to be optimistic and I like to think that, okay, this team could absolutely be a top four, top five team in the East. I still kind of believe they can if they can get on a hot streak. Um, but I think, you know, you have to be realistic about the expectations. I think that, you know, finishing a top four, top five in the Eastern Conference 
is a lot different than being like, oh, they're a team that should make the Eastern Conference Finals, that, you know, they're talented enough to do that. I don't really think that they are. Um, but it's just, it is what it is. And I think that, you know, hopefully things can get better. I mean, the schedule is not going to get any easier. That's really the only, the only rub right now is the Celtics are, you know, in the midst of a really tough road in terms of a schedule, I mean, the Celtics are in the middle of their West Coast road trip. They have the final game of that tonight in Phoenix. The Celtics have already dropped three of four on this road trip, um, including back-to-back games in L.A., in which the team just really looked listless at times. Um, and this was after, um, you know, scoring 145 points um, against Portland. And, you know, Jason Tatum really seemingly has found a bit of an offensive rhythm recently. But the team behind him can't really seem to to get it together. Um, So it's another tough game against Phoenix. The Celtics then will come home for five straight, and two of them are against Milwaukee and Golden State. So that's, you know, those are the next three games for this team at Phoenix tonight, home against Milwaukee on Monday, and then at home against Golden State next Friday. So um, it's not going to get too much easier, but I would say that I don't think it's necessarily the right thing for this team to blow it up and just kind of rebuild or whatever people are suggesting. You know, you have Jalen Brown, you have Jason Tatum, you have Marcus Smart, you have Robert Williams. All these guys are signed. All these guys are going to be here for the foreseeable future. So it's kind of just up to them to try to figure things out um, and try to just find something to play more consistently. I just think it's going to be what it's going to be with this team right now. The head coach isn't going anywhere. Brad Stevens isn't going anywhere. You can't just say, oh, we should blow it up, you know, 26 games into a season. You know, I understand that things can happen quickly in the NBA, but I think you have to be a little patient with the things that they are trying to do. Um, And it's not to excuse the inconsistent play because it's really not okay. You know, it's really not something that is acceptable, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be what it's going to be. I think this team kind of has to find its way itself. And I think there's not going to be anything crazy or major that happens. It's just the team has to figure it out on, on their own. Um, and things kind of really do have to change sooner rather than later. You know, if this team really does want to be a contender in the Eastern conference, but, I just don't think that that is going to happen, really, no matter what they do. Um, But even looking at the standings, like you look at how jam-packed these standings are. I mean, you have the Nets, the Bulls, and the Bucks in the top three in the Eastern Conference. But every other team from the four-seed Miami Heat, you know, down to where the Celtics are at the 10 spot, there are two games that, you know, some that... um, two games that separate all those teams. And it just shows you that if the Celtics can get on a bit of a hot streak, they can absolutely be a team that can get into the playoff structure in the East and not have to play in the play-in round, which is where they are right now. I mean, I don't think that any of the teams below the Celtics are teams that I think you really should be worried about. I mean, maybe the Knicks, but I think they're kind of a team that has had distractions pretty much all season. Um, And I think, you know, again, the standings are so close and the Celtics, they can just get on a hot streak. You know, it's still there for them to be a solid team, but 
again, it's really going to come down to what this team is going to look like just as a team. I mean, their issues are issues that they have to figure out themselves. It's not going to be issues that are going to be changed with like a big trade or whatever people want to do. It's going to be up to them. Um, so Celtics currently in 10th place in the East, four and a half games, four and a half games out of first place in the Eastern Conference, which is like wild to say at this point. Um, but yeah, it is going to be challenging. You know, next game against Phoenix, the second seed in the West, and then the, then you play Milwaukee, the third seed in the East, and then the Warriors, who have the best record in the Eastern Conference. But, you know, crazier things have happened. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with this team going forward. Uh, really not much baseball stuff. You know, with the Red Sox, I think that, you know, we talked about the Jackie Bradley Jr. trade last week. You know, I think that there is... There's something bigger going on than just trading Renfro for Jackie Bradley, as I said last week. Um, you know, I think that there's still a possibility the Red Sox could go out and do something big. You know, could they bring back Schwarber? Could there be a possibility that they bring in someone like Carlos Correa and move Bogarts to second? You know, I really think that anything is in play for this team. Um, but as I said last week, I kind of like what they've done with the pitching. You know, and I'm hoping that they can give someone like Tanner Houck an opportunity to be a full-time starter so we can see what he can do um, from that respect. But, you know, really no news on the lockout. Really nothing new has happened um, with baseball. So there's really not a whole lot to talk about other than, oh, this is what the Red Sox maybe could do. Um, so I think, you know, They'll just kind of keep you updated on, on the lockout if, you know, anything changes. If, you know, we see anything change in baseball, I can't really imagine that anything will change um, in any time in the near future. But, you know, it's it's going to be what it's going to be. Um, lastly, uh, I think just as a Boston sports kind of wrap up before we get to kind of other stuff that's going on around sports, um, Carlos Heal was uh, announced as the MLS MVP on Tuesday, was awarded in a ceremony at Gillette Stadium. Uh, Taylor Twelman was there, obviously a former Revs player who was the last Revolution player to win the uh, MVP award, I think in 2005. Um, and then Serena obviously is there. Red one coach of the year, Matt Turner, I think goaltender of the year. Uh, Carlos Hill, I think had previously won comeback player of the year, um, but officially given MVP, led the league with 18 assists, had four goals, and really was the catalyst for um, this revolution team that put together a uh, record-breaking MLS season. Obviously, it did not end the way that we all wanted it to. You know, I think that most of us as fans wanted to see it end with a, a championship and a, a coronation uh, tomorrow. The MLS Cup is tomorrow. NYCFC will play Portland. Um, but I will just say it was really neat to see him win the award and, you know, thank his teammates, thank the team, thank the organization. And, you know, I think as much as that loss to NYCFC is still really tough for a lot of us as fans, I think that there can still be a lot of positives that you take out of last season that, you know, this team is, is for real, and they're serious about contending. They're serious about spending money, and hopefully they're serious about building a new stadium. Um, 
but it just was great to see Carlos get the the recognition that I think he really deserves for, um, you know, turning this team around. And I know that the Revolution ownership and Bruce Arena has done a lot to get this team in the spot that they are, you know, being a team that's a top tier team in the Eastern Conference. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the player's execution. And, you know, you can hire whoever you want, but at the end of the day, it's the players on the field that really kind of will decide what kind of team you're going to be. And Carlos was the guy that really put everything together for this team. And it just seems like he has been, he has been a superstar player since the moment he came here, you know, in the early, early in the 2019 season, um, that it's just like everything has changed for this organization ever since he has come in. Um, you know, so I think it just really, really special and, you know, kudos to him for putting together such a great season. And the great news is he'll be here for a good period of time, as will Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxa. You know, the Revolution are going to return most of the players from last season. You know, Tejan Buchanan really is the only player that won't return that kind of had a big role last season. He'll go play in uh, Belgium for Club Bruges. And I think he is going to go out there sooner, like very soon to go play with them. So uh, definitely happy trails to, to Tejan and the great season that he had. The Revolution drafted him in 2019. And, you know, he was a big reason why the Revolution had such success this season, um, you know, outside of kind of the three big uh, designated players, Bo, Heel, and uh, Buxa. You know, he was the guy that really was a treat to watch every game, you know, bringing that excitement and exuberance to the field. Um, and just, I think, getting back to Carlos, just a guy that really just, I think, is just a perfect team player, a guy that truly makes everyone around him better. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you're looking at MVP awards in any type of sport, in, in any game, in any league, the mark of one of those guys of whoever wins MVP is to make your teammates better. And I think that that is kind of the most important thing with his game that, you know, 18 assists led the league, you know, much more of an assist guy than a goal scorer. You know, he was not the guy that is going to score, you know, 12, 13, 15 goals every year. You know, he's a guy that is much more comfortable setting other guys up. But I think really you were able to see him make players around him so much better. And I think, Seriously, I've not seen a player on the Revolution be that much of a catalyst for a team than any other Revolution team I remember. You know, and I've been watching this team forever. You know, I've seen plenty of guys come and go win, you know, MVP awards or play at, at tremendously high levels. You know, you think about your Shalry Josephs, your Taylor Twelmans, your Clint Dempsey's, um, your your Steve Ralston's, you know, going way back. But um, Carlos really has been a guy that's been so much fun to watch really since, since he got here, you know, and has really made things different for this team and this organization. And hopefully, you know, the revolution can, can win a championship for the next few years. It just seems like not only is he just so committed to being a team player, he's really committed to seeing this team, you know, win some championships and, you know, really and finally bring you know, one to New England, it really seems like this group is a focused group that I think despite losing in the playoffs, this team is going to use that as fuel in trying to, you know, right, rewrite the wrongs next season. So I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, what's next for this team. But again, congrats to 
regardless for, for, for winning the MVP award. And, you know, hopefully it signals the be beginning of something for the revolution, maybe next year winning a championship. So, uh, really congratulates, congratulations to him looking forward to the next, to the start of the next MLS season in March. So MLS cup again is this weekend. It is tomorrow. Uh, Portland will host NYCFC at three o'clock on ABC. So NYC, obviously the team that beat the revolution got through the East by winning um, against the Philadelphia Union last weekend. So they are through to the final. Final will be in Portland at Providence Park at 3 o'clock tomorrow. So I think with us kind of going through the, the Boston sports, I think it makes sense to go through some other you know notes that are going on. I think it makes sense to um, touch on the Heisman Trophy celebration, which will be tomorrow. It will be awarded um, the nominees, Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh, Bryce Young from Alabama, um, and C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, all three of those guys' quarterbacks, um, and then Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end from Michigan, um, who put together a really, really special season. Um, I think really this season compared to other ones, it seems like it could be anyone's game. You know, I know in reality it's going to really be a quarterback award. That's kind of what this award kind of always is, unless there's an elite player that comes along that really kind of sets the standard at that position. You know, we saw that last year with uh, Devontae Smith from Alabama, who's now uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, but I think, I think that you're going to see kind of a, a kind of a close race. I think, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is going to look like, you know, it really seems like, it really seems like Bryce Young is kind of the, the front runner here um, as he played really, really well in the SEC championship game, played really well in the uh, the Iron Bowl in their rivalry game against Auburn. Um, when he, you know, really seriously rescued that team, um, they really did not look good throughout that game, but he was able to make enough plays um, late in the game and in, and in the overtimes to get Alabama the win and then obviously played great against Georgia in the SEC championship against, you know, arguably the best defense in college football and probably one of the best defenses college football has seen in, in, in a very long time. Um, so I think for me, he is probably the front runner. You know, I think CJ Stroud definitely has um, a bit of an argument too. You know, I think that he played against a little bit tougher of competition um, despite Ohio State, you know, not reaching the Big Ten title game or winning the Big Ten title game, you know, that um, reward went to Michigan, but I just thought he was outstanding in some games that, you know, against some high quality teams, you know, played really, really well against Michigan in that, in the, um, their rivalry game. He was definitely not the reason why they lost that game, but I thought he was excellent in that game. I thought he was excellent in the Michigan State game. Um, I thought that he has kind of been a consistent all season long. Um, and not that Bryce Young hasn't. I think he's been very consistent and very good all season long. But, you know, I think personally my feeling kind of geared towards C.J. Stroud. But I do think Bryce Young probably will win with Stroud coming in second. 
I think that it really could be a toss-up between Kenny Pickett and um, Aiden Hutchinson for third. I thought Hutchinson was really, really outstanding for Michigan this season. You know, really one of the reasons why they've been really, really good this season had a bit of a resurgence, you know, coming into the season unranked. You know, really one of the biggest reasons why that defense was elite and really one of the biggest reasons why they're in the college football playoff and why they're in the position that they're in. So I think he definitely deserves a lot of credit. Kenny Pickett, I think he's had individually, statistically, or statistically, he's had a really good season. Um, Pittsburgh, obviously, is not a team that's going to be in a playoff. They will be in one of the New Year's Six Bowl games. So that will be good, but he will not be a player that we'll see kind of on a on a big stage as much as maybe Hutchinson or Young were both sorry to get some water. Um both guys that are in the playoff um possibly could match up against each other. Um which I think personally Bryce Young is probably the right pick. Be curious to see what the what how much percentage he gets. Um, but I would think most likely he'll win. Um, I think that Stroud will finish second. I think Hutchinson will finish third, and then I think uh, Pickett will finish fourth. And not to say that any of these guys are you know not deserving of the invitation. You know, obviously only one guy wins, and you know typically it's one guy that wins it fairly easily over some of the other guys. But I think, you know, this is a season where I think all four of these guys have been very good in their own right. They've been elite in their own right. And so I think, you know, that's what is most important to remember when it gets awarded tomorrow. Whoever gets it, whoever, whoever it gets awarded to, that I think all of these guys had a tremendous season um, and deserve to be congratulated for that. Um, so... College football, obviously, bowl season is coming up. There'll be bowl games starting next Friday. I think it makes sense for us to get into that next week um, and talk about some of the other bowl games. Obviously, with the playoff quickly, you know, really no surprises. Uh, Cincinnati winning their conference championship, becoming the first group of five team to get to the playoffs. So, you know, really no arguments there. Michigan getting through after winning the Big Ten. You know, I thought Oklahoma State would get in, but unfortunately they came up just short um, in the Big 12 championship game. Um, so they had lost, and I think, you know, Alabama beating Georgia pretty much clinched that both teams would be in the playoff. Um, Alabama is currently the new number one. Georgia is three. So Alabama will play Cincinnati, and Georgia will play Michigan. So those are the two semifinal matchups on New Year's Eve. We'll talk more about those. Um, next week when we talk about some of the bowl games going on. So I think we will get to talking about NFL Week 13 um, and then really any other miscellaneous stuff that that comes up. So obviously, or Week 14, I should say, I think I said Week 13. Uh, week 14 began last week or last night with the Steelers having a comeback just come up short against the Vikings yesterday. Or last night, Thursday night football, I thought it was a very, very well played game. Um, I thought that you know Pittsburgh did make it very close at the end. Um, you know, credit to them for for sticking with it, but their defense really had a tough time in the first half, and really is kind of the reason why they lost. Uh, Dalvin Cook in his in his game back, 
following the dislocation of his shoulder, had 205 rushing yards. Um, it was a good, solid game for Minnesota, but, you know, Pittsburgh obviously coming back, um, <laughs> coming to coming back to make it very close, nearly got um, a touchdown on the last play of the game, which would have led them to go for two. Um, but I thought, you know, down to the wire, it was a pretty exciting game. Um, but I think Pittsburgh definitely has all the reason to feel like they kind of gave this game away uh, just with how poorly they played defensively, let Dalvin Cook pretty much do whatever he wanted on the field. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of fire directed at Chase Claypool for um, some kind of, and I'll be honest, some kind of immature things that he did in this game. Um, taking a really silly, uh, un, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in the first peer, in the first quarter, um, and then celebrating a first down with less with like a minute left and no timeouts. I mean, I'm sure that if you're listening to this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But essentially, Steelers have the ball; they're driving, and it was a fourth down. I can't. I think they were like between the thirty, between the forty and the thirty yard line. Roethlisberger completes a short pass to Claypool. Pittsburgh's no timeouts. You know, he goes down 35 seconds, and he's celebrating a first down, you know, wasting about six, seven seconds on the clock. The Steelers get down to, like, the 15-yard line with Roethlisberger attempting a last throw. You know, Steelers probably would have been able to get one more playoff if it wasn't for that celebration. So, uh, rightfully so, he was facing some criticism for that. So, both of these teams really needed this game. Minnesota ultimately gets the win, 36-28. to 28. Kirk Cousins had a really good game for them. Obviously, Dalvin Cook, too. Uh, but Pittsburgh falling back after their big win against Baltimore last week. Um, so, unfortunately, unfortunately, Pittsburgh, you know, drops a game after a big win. Then Minnesota getting the win after losing on the last play last week to Detroit. Um, so Minnesota currently, I think, just a game out of the playoffs. So they really needed this game, 36-28, the final. Looking at some games this weekend, you have the Ravens and the Browns, a big game for Cleveland. They really need this game. Uh, Baltimore really needs a rebound game after having some really kind of poor offensive games. Of late, you know, they were able to beat the Browns two weeks ago. Lamar Jackson turned it over four times. Um, so I think this is a team that really needs a big-time offensive performance from him. Um, Cleveland just kind of needs to win to get back in the playoff playoff hunt. I think Baltimore wins, but I don't think it's going to be a pretty game. Um, but I think the Ravens really need Lamar Jackson to kind of get back to the way he was playing earlier in the season. Um to have a chance in this one. So I think the Ravens win, but I don't think it's going to be the prettiest offensive game, but I do think that they'll win. Uh, Jags playing the Titans. Yeah, Jags coming off a uh, shutout loss to the Colts um, and the Titans, I think, coming off of their bye week. So I think I would expect that they are going to win. I expect them to bounce back against Jacksonville, um, Oakland, or excuse me, Las Vegas against Kansas City, Raiders traveling to Kansas City. The Chiefs are suddenly hot. They've been playing really well at home, so I think that they win. The Raiders are uh, struggling to find their identity defensively, so I think Chiefs win big in this one. Uh, Saints and the Jets, I think this could actually be a fairly solid, fairly close game. I think the Jets 
may win this game. The Saints hoping for Kamara's return in this game. Saints are five and seven. Jets at three and nine. I think this is close, but I think the Saints make enough plays down the stretch to win. The Cowboys will travel to Washington. This is suddenly turned into a pretty important game for both teams. Uh, Cowboys eight and four. Washington six and six. Um, Dallas coming off a win in their last game over the Saints last Thursday night. Um, so it looks like they will probably have Mike McCarthy back after he had tested uh, positive before the Thursday night game. So he will likely be available as they play Washington, who's you know quietly been a pretty good offensive team. Uh, Taylor Heineke has had a really good season for them. Um, and kind of kept them in a lot of games defensively, um, despite Chase Young not being available after tearing his ACL a number of weeks ago. They've been playing some really good defense, so I'd expect that this game is going to be close. Um, I think the Cowboys win, but I think Washington plays them really well. Um, the Falcons and the Panthers, a game that one of these teams desperately needs uh, to stay alive in the playoff chase. Um you know, Carolina obviously losing McCaffrey is a big blow. Um, and then, you know, puzzlingly fired their offensive coordinator, Joe Brady. I'm not really sure why they did that. You know, I think he's not really had a healthy McCaffrey, and he's had three quarterbacks that haven't necessarily been the best quarterbacks. And I just think they're kind of pinning a lot of uh, blame onto him, which doesn't really seem right to me. But, um, I think the Falcons get the win in this one. I think it's going to be close, but I think Atlanta gets the win, remains in the playoff chase. Uh, Seahawks and Texans. I think the Seahawks get the win um, and bounce back after the win against the 49ers last week. I think they're a little too far away from the playoffs, but I do expect them, I do expect them to beat Houston this week. Uh, Lions and the Broncos. Lions coming off their first win of the season. It's not going to get easy having to go to Denver against a Broncos team that's actually been pretty good this year. 6-6, six and six, I think the Broncos get the win and improve to 7-6. Uh, and six. Giants and the Chargers. Uh, Giants desperately need this game, but I think Chargers win. Um, good win for them last week. So I think Herbert and the Chargers... Um, continue their good play. They had a really good game against Cincinnati last week, so I think that they will win 49ers and Bengals. This will be an interesting game. Um, I think Cincinnati bounces back at home for a 25 game, um, and the Bills and the, and the Bucks uh, from Tampa, Florida. I think the Bucks are going to win. I think that, you know, Buffalo, obviously, coming off a... pretty poor uh, offensive game. And I know the weather had a lot to do with it, but it just really seems like they've not been able to find their rhythm in the last couple of games. Um, I think the Bucks win, but I do think this is going to be a relatively close game. Um, and then the Sunday night game, Bears and Packers. Um, I think the Packers uh, win this game. And then the ESPN Monday night football game, probably going to be the best Monday night football game of the season. Uh, Rams travel to the Cardinals. Rams coming off a big win, really a much-needed win against Jacksonville last week. Um, and then the Cardinals, obviously, coming in at 10-2 and with the best record in the league. I think this is going to be an outstanding game. I think the Cardinals will win, and I think 
you know, prove to everyone on a on a national stage that they are for real. I think there are some people that don't really know much about them and kind of can't believe that they're ten and two. But I think this is the Cardinals' opportunity to beat a quality opponent on national TV and prove that they are Super Bowl contenders. So, looking at the playoff standings, the Patriots. Uh, you know, it's just wild to to think that they hold the number one seed after you know the season that they had last year, um, and even just like how they've played this season. You know, starting two and four, um, you know, winning seven straight games are now the top seed in the East or in the AFC. Uh, Tennessee is the second seed, followed by Baltimore and Kansas City. Those are the division winners, and then the three wild cards are the Chargers, the Bengals, and the Bills. With the Colts and the Raiders, the Steelers, the Browns, and the Broncos are all very close. As with the Dolphins, who have won five straight games, it's kind of hard to believe how good they've been. They uh, will have a bye this week, but it's kind of crazy that they've put themselves in the playoff chase as well. I think AFC is going to get absolutely crazy in the last couple weeks of the season. really think any of those teams could make the playoffs. Um, in the NFC, obviously, Arizona, the number one seed, followed by Green Bay, Tampa Bay, and then Dallas. And then the wild cards at the moment would be Los Angeles, Washington, and San Francisco, with Minnesota, Philadelphia, Carolina, Atlanta, and the Saints all kind of behind them. So I think we're going to see some some crazy stuff go on in the NFL. I think that, you know, the top of the NFC is probably going to stay the same you know, could change with some of the wild card teams. The AFC, I mean, I really think it's anyone's game. You know, the Patriots are nine and four, but you know, if you look at the Patriots are nine and four and the Colts are seven and six and the Colts are outside of the playoffs, you know, it tells you just how close it is in the AFC. So it will be very interesting to see the games this week. Really excited for the Monday night game. Uh, I think for us just to kind of get some miscellaneous things going on. Um, Really sad to report the the death of um, Demarius Thomas um, as he uh, was found dead in his home yesterday. Um, Obviously, uh, one-time, small-time Patriot. Um, But, I mean, well, one thing that's clear is that he made such an impact on on so many people, you know, especially at um, Georgia Tech, where he went to college, and then playing with with the Broncos, um, it just is, is is tragic to see you know this happen with with someone so young and someone that I think meant a lot to the NFL community, and you know was a guy that did a lot in his in his community, and you know he'll be he'll be deeply deeply missed. Um, I think seen. Um, another coaching hire in college football, uh, Brent Venables, the Clemson, former Clemson defensive coordinator, uh, will take over at Oklahoma. He will be the new head coach following uh, Lincoln Riley's departure to USC. Um, the Houston Texans have announced that uh, Davis Mills will be the quarterback of the rest of the season. Um, and so maybe just... Throw, throw in some college basketball, look at some games this weekend with uh, some of the teams that are in the top 25. We'll take a quick look at the top 25. Um, I will say, and I probably should have said this at the beginning of the podcast, but 
um, let me know if you guys enjoyed this podcast today, you know, going through some of the local stuff first before we get to kind of the national stuff. Um, I do want to let you guys know that I will have kind of a, an announcement coming in the next few weeks with the podcast as we kind of t- look to take a different direct or like kind of a new direction uh, with the podcast. Um, so obviously I'll let you guys know about that. Um, so top 25 college basketball, Purdue, the new number one, despite getting upset uh, last night against Rutgers, I believe. Um, I think that that was a pretty sure that that was a buzzer beater. Um, so Purdue obviously will not be number one anymore um, as the number, the top 25 was announced on Monday this week. Uh, so Purdue followed by Baylor, Duke, UCLA, and Gonzaga is top five. And then Villanova, Texas, Kansas, Alabama, and Kentucky round out six through 10. So some games going on this weekend. I believe that there is there are some top 25 games that are going on. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that Baylor and Villanova play this weekend. Um, so some games tomorrow, uh, 22nd ranked Wisconsin against 21st ranked Ohio State. Just going through some of the ranked games. Um, and then tomorrow night on ESPN2, 14th ranked Houston against 9th ranked Alabama. And then the game Sunday, yes, Villanova, Baylor on ABC Sunday at 3 o'clock. Um, if you're interested in watching some college basketball in the middle of some NFL football, that that's the big one. Villanova 6th, uh, Baylor 2nd. Baylor, you know, depending on how this game goes, maybe the new number one on Monday. But that will definitely be a game to watch. So I think that that probably, probably, probably does it for me this week. I think that uh, podcast a little, a little shorter than usual, but uh, that is what it looks like. And let me know if you guys liked this, you know, different format of this, kind of going through the local stuff first. But um, as always, you know, you can let me know. You can follow us on, on uh, Twitter and Facebook. You can listen on Apple Music and Spotify. You can follow, you know, like, leave a review, a comment, you know, any of that. You can, you know, reach me on Twitter if you'd like or reach me on Facebook or or Instagram, any of the social media sites to, you know, give me some feedback. I'd really, really appreciate it. You know, it's always fun, you know, doing this podcast, getting to to talk to some people and hopefully it will uh, be that much more interesting when I, you know, announce where we might be going with this podcast in the next few weeks. So um, everyone have a good weekend and we will talk to you next week.